So once again, good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study. We are in chapter 50. Chapter 50, the first couple of verses there, has one of the most exciting things you ever can imagine with regard to understanding the Word of God. So let's start here in chapter 50. I think about once again, like I said before we began, with regard to those who gathered there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, 31 AD, how much they really did understand. I believe you understand so much more. Perhaps they, more, they understood more about the the Old Testament than you do, but they didn't really understand the epistles of Paul and all of that to the depth that you can and will understand it. So in Isaiah 50 and verse 1, thus says the eternal, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? So here we have your mother's divorcement and as we know, God called Israel when they were in their blood, in their pollutions, and cleaned them up and entered into a covenant with them. And so we look at Ezekiel 16, where God first uh, dealt with Israel in Ezekiel 16. What we're going to cover here in the first part is so critical to understanding the whole the whole tapestry of the Bible and what it what it really means to all of us. So in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 1. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man cause Jerusalem to know her abominations and say thus says the Lord God unto Jerusalem your birth and your nativity is of the land of Canaan which we now call modern day Israel your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite and as for your nativity in the day you were born your navel was not cut neither was you washed in water to supple you and you were not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied you. Now verse 6, when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood, I said unto you, when you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said unto you, when you were in your blood, live. And the succeeding verses begin to talk about how that God cleaned them up and he made them his. And he also later in the chapter talks about their whoredoms. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah now, chapter 3 and verse 14, we see that God entered into a marriage covenant with them. And we will see that marriage covenant 
more thoroughly in Exodus 24 and 25 in just a moment. In Jeremiah 3 and verse 14, this is a verse that you really need to remember. Turn, O backsliding children, says the eternal, for I am married unto you. That's the phrase that I want you to really zero in on, focus on, and remember. I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city, two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And so you even have a, of course, Judah returned to Zion and built the second temple. But the greater fulfillment is when we return to, to Zion, the church of God. Now we want to go to Exodus uh, chapter 25 and verse 4, where, this, where Israel did enter into that marriage covenant. Anytime that a covenant was uh, offered, without, it was not offered without the shedding of blood and a sacrifice, and it mean it, it, and the sacrifice was cut in two, and they walked in the middle of it and agreed to the terms of the covenant. So in Exodus twenty-four and verse four. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrifice offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins. Half the blood he sprinkled on the, the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, the covenant, Barith, he read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. So that is where they said, I do, in the marriage covenant. They entered into that covenant with the eternal, the one who became Jesus Christ. Of course, we can say God the Father is the eternal. We can say Jesus Christ is eternal. For he is. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So they agreed to the terms of the covenant. The putting away of Israel through a bill of divorcement has far-reaching implications that sheds light on Christ being eligible to marry spiritual Israel in the church. Now let's focus on that more clearly. And we're here this evening to learn. And I'm going to read that sentence once again. The putting away of Israel through a bill of divorcement has far-reaching implications that sheds light on Christ on Christ being eligible to marry spiritual Israel, the church. A bill of divorcement does not necessarily make one eligible to remarry under the Mosaic law. 
And Jesus perfectly fulfilled every jot and tittle of the Mosaic law. So let's note the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, this is very interesting and very often overlooked. Usually ministers in giving a sermon, they don't read these first uh, six verses of Romans chapter 7. So here we go with Romans 7 and verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. But the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. So we see that Jesus Christ entered into a marriage covenant with Israel. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 3.14, which we read, I am married to you. If the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of the husband. The law of her husband. And of course, that would make it possible for her to be remarried, him or her. So then if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, of course, the church beginning in the days of Mr. Armstrong and continuing expanded on when was a man or a woman free to be remarried. And there were other things that were brought out, especially in 1 Corinthians 7 and other parts of the New Testament with regard to being free to remarry. Now, verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So the law part that bound you to the divorce agreement was annulled when Jesus Christ died. So the body of Christ died, that you should be married to another and to him who is raised from the dead. Who was raised from the dead? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That you should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were yet in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. See, the wages of sin is death. You break even one tit or tittle of the law, you are, you are bound to die. The wages of sin is death. But now we're delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. What shall I say then? Is the law of sin... Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known 
lust, except the Lord said, you shall not covet it. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me a, all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. So after Jesus Christ died, he was free to marry Israel. Israel played the harlot after that marriage ceremony in Exodus 25 that we read about, where they said, our, I do. So now we want to enlarge upon our understanding of this bill of divorcement when we go back to Hosea chapter 1, and then we shall see how that Hosea's prophecy is enlarged upon in the New Testament. Yes, you never thought that read one sentence in Isaiah chapter 50, and it brings us all over the Bible, but the bill of divorcement in that part in understanding that in its as fully as we can understand it is so very important. In Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto you a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. And so that was depicting physically what Israel had become spiritually, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and which conceived and bare a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. And yet for a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. So Jezreel can mean restoration, and Jezreel can mean destruction. Now we are by verse 5. Now, and it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. The plains of Jezreel is it's sort of shaped like a triangle that begins up in Samaria and comes more narrow as you come nearer and nearer to Jerusalem. You read in Revelation where the blood comes up to the horse's bridles when God really intervenes. That great army is fighting against God in the day of the battle of God Almighty. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow. Now bow symbolizes the military might, power of a nation. I will break the military might, power of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again, bare a daughter, and God said, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. And this is very important to what we're going to read in Second Peter in a few minutes. Uh, in, in Hebrew, when you put L-O, Lo, in front of 
a noun, or I guess it could be an adjective or adverb, that uh, that denotes not, not or no. Call her name Lo Ruhama. Ruhama means mercy. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take her away. And so the northern kingdom went into captivity under the hands of the Assyrians. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, that is by military might or power, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Of course, he saves them by his word, his sharp two-edged sword, which goes out of his mouth, as it says in Revelation 19. And when she had weaned Lo-Ruhama, she conceived and bare a son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami. Lo means not or no. Ami means people. Then God said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So then they become Lo-Rohama and Lo-Ami. Now, in the church of God, we are now Ami and Ruhama. And Peter brings this out very clearly. This is a very, very exciting to see this union in the Bible that is continued in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And we'll start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That's a trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found with praise and honor and glory as appearing of Jesus Christ. And James, James writes, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations or trials. And knowing that the having patience will deliver your souls. It says, let patience have her perfect work, which that means you wait on God, you trust in God, and he will deliver you. That is the patience. Job had patience. We talk about the patience of Job. Though he came to the point that he sinned against God by blaming him for his condition. Now verse 8, whom having not seen you love, in, in whom though you see him not, yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the 
outcome, the telos, the outcome, the result of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, your life essence, of which salvation the prophets have required, have inquired and desired to see. Now, with that background, we're going to chapter 2, verse 4, where I told you to turn. To whom coming as unto a living stone. So Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, and he is the chief cornerstone of the church, and he is the head of the church. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. But you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. And in Galatians 6.16, the spiritual house is called the Israel of God, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now the spiritual priesthood we all have God's spirit in that sense, but the New Testament makes it clear that God calls various people to various offices, and that is very clear in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and also in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Wherefore, also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, that's Jesus Christ. Elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall be confounded. He that believes not, he that believes not, shall be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the words, which, which being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And I'm not clear about exactly what it means when it says, whereunto also they were appointed. But God knew that some would harden their hearts. In fact, it says in John 1 that he came to his own, his own received him not, but unto those who believed on him, he gave them power to become the sons of God to have a spiritual birth, not by blood, but by the Spirit. And you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, now we come to the tie-in to Hosea chapter 1, where it was said you shall be called Lo-Rohama and Lo-Ami. So notice what it says, which in times past were not a people, you were Lo-Ami. But now you are the people of God. That's you. If you have God's spirit, that is you. Which had not obtained mercy, you were low Ruhama. But now you have obtained mercy. And through 
repentance and faith in the sacrifice of Christ, your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the life essence, having your conversation, your conduct, honest among the nations, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the onus is always on the people of God to set the right example. Now let's go to Romans chapter 9, another set of scriptures which needs far more attention than what we give them. In Romans chapter 9, what seems like a conundrum or a, a contradiction, we see that God is faithful to his word, and he is interested in bringing all peoples into the Israel of God. So in Romans chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 4. Romans 9, 4. Who are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption or the and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. As we read from Ezekiel and from Exodus, how wonderful it was that God gave Israel all of these things. Whose are the fathers and of whom are concerning the flesh Jesus Christ came? He came from one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah, who is overall God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So that shows that the Gentiles now have been grafted into the body of Christ. They're not all Israel which are of Israel because Basically, when Jesus Christ came, they rejected them. <clears throat> now we look later in this uh, chapter. We'll start in verse 26. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you're not my people that was in Israel, in Judah, in Jerusalem, you're not my people. There you shall be called the children of the living God. And we read that from 1 Peter 2, chapter uh, verse, nine, uh, verse 10. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. So God has not forsaken or forgotten his people. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Of course, we think it's very long. It's been a long time since Pentecost, 2,000 years. It's been a long time since the Garden of Eden. 
almost says 6,000 years or more. And, and Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and made like unto Gomorrah, that is, just wiped out, destroyed. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness? And that's why Paul could write, all of those who are of Israel are not of Israel. It sounds like a contradiction. Even the righteousness, which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, the law of righteousness, and that's they kept doing that and rejected Christ, still looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a physical person, not for a spirit being coming from the heavens. They have not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Who was the stumbling stone to them? It was Jesus Christ. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believes in him shall not be ashamed. And we read that also from First Peter chapter 2. So how wonderful is the word of God. Now let's turn back to Hosea chapter 1 and verse 10. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 10. And here we shall see the prophecy that we read both from Romans and both from First Peter that Hosea had prophesied that a long time ago. Hosea 1, 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, You are the sons of the living God. And that has already come upon us. We are God's people. We have obtained mercy. Then said the children of Israel and the children of Israel, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves. And the word appoint should be translated recognize. Jesus Christ is going to be the head over all. David will be over the 12 tribes of Israel and recognize themselves one head. They shall come up out of the land for great shall be in the day of Jezreel. Remember what I said about Jezreel? Jezreel has a dual, dual meaning. Jezreel can mean destruction. Destruction is sown in the valley of Jezreel. And it was, it was sown at one time physically to be sown again. But then there's come the great restoration when God restores his people. Now look at chapter 2. Say you unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her 
sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. And so in the Israel of God, if you become in the Israel of God, the adulteries have been put away and everything is made at one with God and with Christ. Now, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, I want to go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter Second Corinthians chapter eleven first to show the the current state that the church is in. Of course, I think we know this, but it's good to be reminded that as we read about the being married to Christ, we are now in a state of betrothal to Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Would to God you would could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous with you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now we're going to go to... Uh, Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, in the book of Hebrews, Paul further clarifies what was required for the dissolution of the old covenant marriage relationship. And we're going to start in verse 15 and read through 17 and make some comments, and we're going to quote Vine's covenant vines a dictionary on this so in the book of hebrews chapter 9 beginning with verse 15 and for this cause he christ is the mediator of the new testament now the greek word there is diatheke and it should be translated covenant he's the mediator of the new covenant that by means of death for the redemption, see, by means of death, wages of sin of death, for the redemption, the transgressions that were under the first covenant, wages of sin is death, you broke the law, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, put covenant instead of testament, there must also be the necessity of the covenant maker. So if if you have, a, even if you had a will, before the will can go into effect, the uh, person who wrote the will, it, it doesn't go into effect until it's probated and after the person dies. For a covenant is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is a strength at all while the testator lives. So, when Jesus Christ died on the stake, 
he fulfilled all the requirements of the old covenant. However, that did not include the spiritual law. Most of the spiritual law, in fact, the Ten Commandments, all of the Ten Commandments are spiritual law. So this is, now I'm going to read from Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words. And he refutes this interpretation about the testator. While the terminology in Hebrews 9, 16, we're quoting from Vine's now. While the terminology in Hebrews 9, 16, 17 has the appearance of being appropriate to the circumstances of making a will, I talked about it, there is excellent reason for adhering to the meaning covenant making, I talked about that. It was a covenant that they made. They cut the sacrifice in place, they walked, they walked in between the sacrifices after they were divided. They said, I do. The rending, the death of the testator would make Christ a testator, which he was not. He did not die simply, but the terms of the testamentary disposition might be filled. He is the mediator of a new covenant. He himself is the victim whose death was necessary. The idea of making a will destroys the argument of verse 18. The verse 18 says, without the shedding of blood, there is, there is no covenant made. We may render somewhat literally thus, for where a covenant is, a death is necessary to be brought in of the one covenanting, for a covenant over dead one's victim is sure since never has it force when the one covenanting lives. So Jesus Christ, especially in view, as long as, but he was killed, the one who had entered into the marriage covenant, he was then free to marry the church. And as Jeremiah writes in 3.14, we read that he is married to you. To the church. As we have noted, the Israel of God will marry Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's Revelation 19.6. Members of the body of Christ, which we read, are espoused to Christ. Second Corinthians 11.2. When Israel was put away, she became Loami and Lorahama. The church has now become Ami and Ruhama, as we read from 1 Peter 2. In Romans 9, Paul writes that they are not all of Israel, which are of Israel, which we have read and is expounded upon. There are two Israels. There's physical Israel. See, there is a movement called replacement theology. The church does not replace physical Israel, but it is God's goal to bring all nations into spiritual Israel. So there are two Israels, physical Israel, 
which will be restored in the millennium, and spiritual Israel, and spiritual Israel will rule over physical Israel in the millennium. The church of God, the Israel of God. So the church has not replaced Israel, and the physical Israel will be the model nation in the millennium and serve to help bring all nations into the Israel of God. So let's note a couple of scriptures that deal with that. Zechariah 8.20, we've turned here three or four times. And we could turn a hundred times, and it would still be music to my ears. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 20. Zechariah 8, verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go, let us go, saying, let us go speedily to pray before the eternal and to speak to the Lord of hosts, I will also go. Speak to the Lord of hosts. Imagine Christ being on earth. Yes, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of, of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the eternal. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take the hold out of all languages, We've talked about there will be different languages in the millennium. The pure language in Zephaniah refers to ceremonially pure. Take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now in Ezekiel, Chapter 27. No, I got a misnomer there. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, let's go back there and pick it up. So that's a long, we've taken 45 minutes with that, and we should have. And it's a time well spent. I hope you understand all of what was in that. That Jesus Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law in every dimension. And his death nullified the old covenant, making him free to marry the church. And we read about that in Romans chapter seven the first four or five verses so thus says the lord this is back in isaiah 50 verse one thus says the lord where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom i have put away it was customary for the bridegroom or the one suing for divorce and apparently only men could sue to for divorce under the law. I, I don't think women were able to sue for divorce under the law. 
I have put away or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold for your iniquities. I didn't put you away because I sold you and I got something out of it. I put you away because of your sins, as we read from Hosea 1 and from Ezekiel. And for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man when I called? Was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all? And of course, we're immediately reminded there of one of the things that I have talked about so much with regard to uh, standing in the gap. Is there not a person who would stand in the in the gap and make up the hedge? And that's what God is reiterating here in Isaiah. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man when I called? Was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that I it cannot redeem? Can I buy you back? Can I deliver you? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. And the Red Sea, of course, dried up. And then Israel marched through with Pharaoh's host breathing down their neck. I will make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinks because there is no water and dies for thirst. Of course, in the trumpet plagues, the mighty trumpet plagues are going to come upon the environments and the waters of the earth are going to pay a great price, and so are the people. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. You know that blackness that you see between the with the stars. This is what a commentator says. With the dark clouds of a tempest, perhaps with an illusion to the remarkable clouds and tempests that encircle the brow of Sinai when he gave the law. Of course, that's an illusion which I wouldn't necessarily buy. Alluding to the clouds, sackcloth was a coarse and dark cloth which was usually worn as an emblem of mourning. And of course, we know that just before Christ returns, the church will be in mourning from sackcloth and mourning, from ashes to praising God. So we continue here with this in Isaiah. Verse four, the Lord, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learning. Now, evidently, this is speaking of Messiah. And of course, some of the prophets, what the prophets spoke were the words of God. They were divinely inspired, and that's what the Bible consists of, divinely inspired, not a, we don't teach a word-for-word um, interpretation or um, uh, giving of the scripture 
but we do teach a, a an inspired giving of the scripture and the, the culture of the day, the language of the day, and all the surrounding elements play a role in how it's going to be worded, but it is the word of God. You remember the scripture in Timothy where it says all scriptures given of inspiration and is profitable for instruction, reproof, and doctrine. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learning that I should know how to speak a word in season. He wakes morning by morning. He wakes mine ear to hear as he has the learning. The Lord God had opened mine ear. I was not rebellious, neither turned away, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that are plucked off the hair. So we they pull literally pull some of the hair out of Christ's beard or his, his hair on his face when he was on the stake. Or maybe they did it as he was going up to Golgotha, you know, where that that one came and carried the cross for him because he was so exhausted at that time. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. They spit in his face, said all kinds of things. And there's more dramatic and graphic language concerning what he suffered in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I shall not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. So God has... Christ through God has set his face like a flint. I mean, he is going to perform what is in scripture. He is going to bring it to pass. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? You remember that verse? concerning the people that God has called out in Romans 8, 31, that says, if God be for us, who can be a, against us? And then it says, who is, who is it that condemns? You see, you have God on your side. God is with you. He's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. God is with you. You are his child. He watches over you. There are angels round about you. God is concerned about you. His thoughts are ever toward you. The hairs on your head are numbered. And it goes on and on. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground unless he's aware of it. How, how much more valuable are you than the sparrows? God takes care of his children. Oh, yes, they may be cast into the furnace of affliction, but let patience have its perfect work. Believe and know, regardless of the situation, circumstances, God will deliver. Lo, they shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. 
the heavenly powers that now exist, Satan and the demons, are going to be cast down. They are going to be cast away. They are going to be made of non-effect. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon, upon his God. So, if you really fear God, you're going to obey him. You're not going to walk in darkness. You're not going to trust the prince of darkness. You're going to stay upon God and trust him for deliverance in all circumstances. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire that compass about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that you have kindled. Oh, you can burn your sacrifices. You can even have child sacrifices and burn them on the altar. And you can praise and glorify your God. But I think, <laughs> I know that Elijah showed the nation of Israel and the priest of Baal who was really God and who they could really, really count on at Mount Carmel when he challenged the priest of Baal to consume the sacrifice, to uh, consume the sacrifice and so on. And God consumed not only the sacrifice, but the water. So you may try to walk in the light of your own fire with the sparks and so on that you have kindled. This shall you have of mine hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. Those who do that, those who try to count on other gods for deliverance, they shall know that God has God has determined that he is going to deliver his people in his own way, in his own time. So here we are at the end of this Bible study. We have about three minutes to eight, but we're not going to try to go to another chapter. It took 45 minutes about Ruhama, Ami, how that Christ perfectly fulfilled the terms of the old covenant, how that he became eligible to marry the church. We're now spouse to God. We're going to participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 6. We're going to return with Christ to this earth to set up his government to rule and reign. We are going to shout the words of God from Zion, from one end of the universe to the other. So there is so much to look forward to in the precious word of God. So it's when you look at verses like chapter, like verse one of chapter 15, you say, oh, so what about to build a divorcement? Let it be known that there's much more to it. Hosea addresses it, chapters 1 and 2. 
Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 9. Peter addresses it in chapter 2. And it's addressed also in other places. But those are the main places that you come to understand that we are married to Jesus Christ. He is our husband. I misspoke. We are his spouse. We're not yet, the marriage has not yet been consummated, but it will be consummated after the resurrection at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, we are going to have uh, now questions and answers, and hopefully we have some answers. So do any of you have any questions, comments? Surely you have some question or comments after such pouring over the scriptures as we've done here this evening. Good evening, Dr. Ward. Good evening. Uh, I, I appreciate your going through all of this in depth. It certainly is a lot to consider and ponder and not just read over quickly. Um, I really like the way that Hosea chapter one ends, you know, the very last part of verse 11, where it says, for great will be the day of Jezreel. You know, it's such a encouraging future that God has in store for, you know, the physical people of Israel that will actually be able to play a part in after the return of Christ. You know, those who weren't his people, but are now the people of God will be able to help assist bringing them along to truly being the sons of God. Yes, I I, I used to teach the minor prophets at Ambassador, and, and every one of the minor prophets, they can, they can paint a scene of gloom and doom, but they always have this part about restoration and return and what it's going to be like in the millennium. Thank you, Paul, very much for your comment. Anybody else? have a comment, a question. Do you understand about the death of the covenant maker? So the covenant ended when the covenant maker died. Hello, Dr. Ward. Hi. I have, I have a question um, in Hosea 1 verse 7. Um, up in verse four, it says, and the Lord said to him, um, it looks like the Lord is still talking and continuing in verse seven, it says, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord, their God. Um, I was just wondering, is that like the father telling them he will save them by the one who became the son? Well, it's it's a it's a joint effort by God the Father and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who interfaced with Israel. The um, that inset verse there in chapter seven. See in verse six, I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but will utterly destroy it, take them away. Now we talk about Israel being physically scattered among the nations, but with the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh being Britain and the U.S. 
But then verse 7 is an inset about Judah is, is going to continue and they're going to return so that the seed, you see it back in the prophecy that was given in Genesis 50 about the 12 tribes that uh, God said he is not going to turn from, he doesn't say it in these words from Jerusalem until Shiloh come and Shiloh means peacemaker and Jesus Christ came. And so Judah returned, but I will have mercy. So Judah continued for about another 120 years and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by military might. And so it, it seems to blend from physical restoration to spiritual restoration. But the physical had to take place with Judah in order for prophecy to be fulfilled so that Judah would return and that Jesus Christ would be born of the tribe of Judah. I get it. Right, right. Thank you. And then uh, with regard to uh, sometime during the time that Israel went into captivity under the hands of the Assyrians, all of Israel began to be referred to as Jew or Judah, mainly Jew. The Jews this, the Jews that. Mm -hmm. But, of course, we have the saying that everyone who is an Israelite is not a Jew and all Jews are not Israelites or however we word it. And, uh, but uh, the term Jew became synonymous with all 12 tribes, especially in the minor prophets to a large degree. Now, sometimes Judah specifically, as in this case, they continued another 120 years. They built the temple. They uh, restored temple worship. And then the Messiah came on the scene and fulfill all the terms of the law, that is the physical law, the washings of Galatians, as it says in Hebrews chapter nine. But the spiritual law, of course, is still in effect. In effect, God and Christ introduced the Sabbath back in Genesis chapter two, and the Lord God rested from all that he had made. And so the spiritual law continues. And that's where the last time I talked about Hebrews 8, and I forget exactly which word it is, but 6, I'm pretty sure, where it says, and he made a covenant that is established, and instead of established, it is furnished with law. And so the new covenant is furnished with the law. And Paul makes this clear in the rest of, we read through chapter, through uh, verse six of Romans seven. From that point on in Romans, Paul makes it clear that the law is not done away with. 
in one point when he closes chapter three, Paul says, do we then make void the law through faith? And what is his answer? His answer is, Father. God forbid that it should be. That, and that proves that the law is still in effect, which the, you know, the, the world's churches have trampled underfoot. underfoot. The spiritual law is, is still in effect. Okay, any follow-up there? Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, anybody else have a question or comment? People other than preachers and their wives can ask questions <laughs> or make comments. Well, there's so much information. It feels like I'm in a whirlwind sometimes. I'm glad I'm taking notes to go back over it. I, I just asked everybody, do you see the connection with the bill of divorcement and how that Christ ended that marriage under the terms of the old covenant when he died? Yes, that is something that I've known for quite a while. And that the scriptures make that clear. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Exactly. Okay. I'm glad you did that on Isaiah 50 verse 1 because where it's posed as a question, I, I wasn't actually sure that that was really a divorcement. So thank you for going over that. Well, Jeremiah 3, 14 clearly says, for I am married to you. Okay. And later in uh, Isaiah, in the uh, 50s, maybe it's 56, 57, talks about, uh, I am your husband, I'm married to you, and so on. Mm -hmm. I think that, see, that marriage continues in the millennium. Because you have the marriage supper of the Lamb after the resurrection. In Revelation nine nineteen six, right. so you are still you are now in a marriage relationship throughout, and throughout is a wrong term in eternity. You don't go throughout it; it is eternal. 